Chapter Thirty of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Praed. Chapter Thirty. At the center of peace. Angela was very ill. From the date of Dyson's visit to Kooralbyn, she had drooped visibly though she did not complain and strenuously resisted any suggestion of her father's that Mrs. Ferris should be summoned from Lakehart's town. The old man tortured himself with forebodings which gave place to rallyings of hope when she assured him that nothing was really amiss with her, and that she was only so tired. He found comfort in the reflection that Angela, the child of warmth and sunlight, had always faded in the winter. She could not endure the breath of cold. Her whole being seemed to expand with the life of nature, the song of birds and the luxuriance of growth. He told himself, with a vain effort at conviction, that her strength and energy, little enough at best, would revive with the spring. It came to Angela's mind at this time that she would paint a portrait of herself for Barrington, who had often expressed a desire to possess her likeness. She felt feverishly excited at the thought of gratifying his wish, and had all the sentimental pleasure of a poetic nature in thus providing an ever-present remembrance of herself for the man she loved. She fancied that thus there might ever be two Angelas near him, the earthly one, whose wistful gaze would always awaken regret for the little bush-flower whom he had loved so lightly, the other, that invisible spirit of the air, who would fan his brow and carry sweet thoughts to his soul and whisper tender words in his dreams. One day her father entered the studio unawares and found her weeping bitterly over her easel. "'Angela, my darling,' he cried, "'why are you doing this? "'If you really wish to paint your own portrait, my love, "'wait till you are well and bright again. "'Do not perpetuate this pale face. "'In the springtime you will be yourself once more, rosy and gay. "'Be patient till then, and do not sadden both yourself and me.' "'Father,' said Angela tremulously. I want to paint my face as it looks now. It is a whim, a freak. Your little girl was always very willful, and indeed you used to say that she must not be crossed in anything she took to heart, and so I must have my way. When I have finished the picture, I will put it by, and it shall vex you no more. Father, she added presently, will you gather me a cluster of the tie flowers that grow by the creek, and some of the lotus lilies and the blossoms of the gum tree? See, I have a bunch here, but they are withering. Only the scent remains. She lifted the drooping flowers from her lap and held them to her lips. Do you know why I love flowers so dearly? The fairies have told me that they are living things, just as you and I are living, and the perfume of a blossom is its soul. The petals fade and droop, but the soul becomes a flower angel. Is the picture like me, father? It has your eyes, my darling but they see a vision which I know not. Angel, put it away. I cannot bear to look at that pale face. It vexes me. Whom have I in the world but you? Take me to the lagoon, father, said Angela restlessly, and let me gather the lilies for myself. It is getting late, my love, and the dew is falling. There is no dew yet, and if there were, O oh, father, nothing hurts those the fairies love. It will not harm me. The sun is high yet. I want to watch the changing lights upon the mountains. I must finish my study of sunset coloring soon. The sunsets are so much more beautiful in the winter. Leave me by the water's edge for a little while, 
Let me gather the lilies and watch the plain and the sky and dream a picture. Come, father. He took her to the lagoon and left her alone as she desired, returning to the studio where he remained for a long time gazing at her incompleted portrait. When the shadows began to lengthen, he went back to seek her, but she was not in the spot where he had placed her, and after calling her once or twice and receiving no reply, he imagined that she had gone within. But she had willfully stolen from his sight to a spot a little higher up the banks where the hills dipped down into the lagoon. She had seated herself upon a knoll among the sedgy reeds and grass. The setting sun was mirrored in the lake, deep, deep below the lily leaves, and it seemed to her to resemble her own sun, which was going down, too. Suddenly, as she sat, some lines in the poem which Barrington had read to her by the river entered her mind. And the great world shall go round to renewing of days, but tomorrow I shall be deep in the heart of the hills, at the centre of peace. And she saw him as in her dream world, and she herself rising higher and higher in light air, mid shadowy forms and sweet sounds, where mingling her voice with the breath of the wind, she might murmur softly, Love, my love, no harm shall come nigh thee when angel is near. A mist rose from the lagoon and shrouded the valley in its deadly exhalations. Chill and sore, Angela crept homewards. Upon the next morning she did not appear as usual, and when her father went to her bed he found her lying with bright eyes and scarlet lips, while her hair was tossed all about the pillow and her thin hands moved uncertainly over the bedclothes. "'I'm so thirsty,' she said in a helpless, wandering way. Old Nilparu has stretched his arms out over the plain and has dried up the springs and the rivers, and there is no water anywhere, and the lilies are all gone. There are knives cutting into my chest, and I'm so hot. Oh, let us go away, away to the sea. Let us get into a ship and float. Swift as a cloud between the sea and sky, beneath the burning moon seen far away, mountains of ice like sapphire piled on high. And then there's the serpent gleaming in the water, and I—oh, I'm so thirsty. I wish Mother were here. She shall come, she shall come at once, my love, cried Mr. Ferris. Angela did not usually call her stepmother by the dearer title, and the old man cursed his own folly in not having recalled his wife sooner. He rushed out to the kitchen and consulted with Keziah, who laid a poultice upon Angela's chest, and prepared an unwholesome decoction of stale bread, which she called toast-water, and which the sick girl drank greedily. "'She has been and caught a chill,' said Keziah later, "'all along of her wandering ways, and I don't know, no more than a baby, what ought to be done. She has been light in her head, but she is getting quiet now, and stupid-like. There's all the bread in the oven, and not a man upon the place but islanders. If I was you, Mr. Ferris, I'd ride over the creek and bring Mrs. Deans across.' She has had a child of her own and ought to know something about sickness, and till she comes, I'll stop with the poor thing and do what I can. After her wandering talk, during which she mingled in strange confusion the myths and realities of her fancy, Angela seemed to fall into a state of semi-stupor, and lay still with anxious breathing and flushed face turned sideways upon her pillow. Clearly, Keziah was totally inefficient as a nurse, and was moreover continually upon the point of dissolving into tears while Mr. Ferris, like many womanish, self-absorbed men, had no knowledge of how to deal practically with illness. Something must be done at once, and the doctor—there was none nearer than Kuya—must be summoned. 
Keziah's suggestion of fetching Margaret Deans was a good one, and Mr. Ferris saddled his horse and rode across the creek to the free selector's hut. Margaret was ironing in the front room, and Sammy, who had arrived the previous evening from Leichardt's Town, was curled up in an armchair, with his pipe in his mouth, and a newspaper before him. Mr. Ferris was too deeply agitated to take any notice of his friend's return. "'Mrs. Deans,' he said imploringly, "'I want you to come straight over to the station. Angela, my daughter, is ill. I don't know what is the matter with her, but I think that it is some sort of inflammation of her chest. I must send for Mrs. Ferris at once. There is no one but Keziah. Will you look after the child till my wife comes? I know that you are a good nurse. Put on your bonnet, like a kind soul, now, directly.' Margaret Deans was a good-natured creature, and put down her iron with an expression of deep concern. "'Happen she have caught a chill, Mr. Ferris. She were a poor weak thing at her best. Yes, I'll come, and welcome. Sam and Black Charlotte can look after Granny while I'm away. Can't you, Sam?' "'Mr. Ferris don't seem to think not of me,' growled Sam sullenly. "'My daughter is ill,' cried Mr. Ferris wildly. "'How can I give a thought to anything else?' "'Sam, you know how a man feels when his only child is ailing.' "'Aye,' said Sam with bitterness, "'I tell you there were one thing as cut all men alike to the quick. "'Ain't I known what it were to know your only one was dying "'and to be pent up between iron bars, "'so that for all the fierce fire that was raging in your heart "'you could not get to the little one that you loved better nor your life? "'And what would you say, Mr. Ferris, "'if I were to tell you what had set your girl frettin' and ailin'? "'What do you mean?' cried the old man. "'Speak, and don't keep me in suspense. "'What should have made her ill? "'She has got a cold. "'She was always delicate. "'She has not been fretting. "'What should she have fretted for? "'Oh, be quick, my good woman. "'Get on your bonnet, for the love of God. "'Don't be longer than you can help.' "'It's always them as are nearest that are blindest,' returned Sammy. "'I never told you how I had seen Angela, your daughter.' "'Dondering beside the creek with that long Englishman Barrington. "'The fellow that folks say is mad with love for Miss Longleat. "'I never told you that he were holding your Angela in his arms and kissing her face, "'and that she were looking up at him and telling him that she wanted not but to be near him. "'You are mad,' cried Mr. Ferris. "'My Angela, who had no thought but of her art, that child, love, it is impossible.' You had a notion that she were not but a child, and all the time he were turning her into a woman. Aye, he kissed her and fondled her and made believe that he loved her. It's the way of some men with women. I am speaking as true as Shakespeare, Mr. Ferris. If you doubt me, go and ask her who held her in his arms by the creek again the selection, and who kicked Sammy Deems out of the tree where he had the ill luck to be sitting— hearing all that was said. Hasn't it been since Barrington took up with Miss Longleat that she has drooped and dwindled? If I thought that this was true, moaned Mr. Ferris, oh, my Angela, if I thought that this was true. Ask her, repeated Sam. Better tell you whether Barrington did not fool her into loving him, and if it is not Miss Longleat who has bewitched him from her. A heavy curse upon Honoria fell from the old man's lips. It seemed as though his pent-up hatred of Longleat's daughter found vent in the imprecation, for with the inconsistency of his warped nature, 
his fury seized more fiercely upon her than upon Barrington. It had ever been so. The joys which had fallen to her lot had appeared to him the outpourings of the cup of his daughter's happiness. Riches, beauty, health, and now love, all were hers, while to Angela there remained but the endowment of genius, the richest of gifts in one sense, in another the poorest. Angela was dying. A prophetic instinct carried this conviction to his heart and filled it with a sense of unbearable misery. The blow which felled him now seemed more dire than any he had yet received, depriving him of the very motive of existence, and it had been dealt him by Honoria Longleat, whom he hated with the unreasoning hatred that is born of jealousy. Sam, he exclaimed hoarsely, clutching the free selector's arm as he spoke, if what you have told me is true, if wrong has been done to my darling, I'll crush them, father and daughter, crush them both. Neither his wealth nor her beauty shall avail them anything. His world shall know him for what he is. If my Angela is taken from me, it is no matter whether I live or die. Death has no terrors, life no motive, no joy. I'll go away from this place and wander above the earth a vagabond again. It has all come to me since this morning. I did not know before that she was in danger, and I'm mad, man. I tell you that I am mad. Is my only one to be laid low, while his daughter flourishes on the fat of the land and takes all for which my Angela yearned? Is he predestined to triumph, while I am foredoomed to failure? If there were a God in heaven, happiness and misery would be held more evenly in the balance, and I could brand him as a felon, he, the premier of Leckhart's land. I could tread him down like a worm in the dust. Do you mean what you say, Mr. Ferris? cried Sam, starting from his chair, his white, leering face wearing an expression of intensified eagerness. Will you let me have a sight of those papers in the safe? Bah! cried Mr. Ferris, shaking him off. It is your own paltry revenge that you are seeking. My sufferings are nothing to you. Come, Mrs. Deans. For Margaret, equipped and with a small bundle in her hand, had entered. Do not let us waste another moment. Sam, I have a favor to ask of you. Will you take the buggy down, post-haste to Kuya, telegraph there to Mrs. Ferris to meet you and bring back both her and the doctor? For God's sake, don't refuse me. There's not a man about the place except the islanders. All the hands are mustering at Vinbilla. Will you go, Sam, at once? I cannot leave my daughter. Yes, I'll go, replied Sam slowly, though you did not give a thought to me when I were in quad and couldn't get nigh the little chap. But though my revenge is paltry, I am still thinking of it, Mr. Ferris. I'll go, if you will promise me that should the worst you fear happen— You'll let me have a sight of those papers in the safe. Man, cried Mr. Ferris passionately, do you expect that I will make bargains about my daughter's life? Come, all this time I am away from her. Will you go or not? Since you must make conditions, I accept them. If the worst happens, if Angela dies, I shall become a devil, and then nothing will be left but a devil's revenge on fate. He mounted his horse and rode back across the creek. Sammy Deans and his wife waited to place Granny in the charge of a domesticated black gin, 
then followed, walking as fast as they could, to Coralbin, which was about a mile and a half distant. Keziah was still watching Angela, who, during her father's absence, had remained in the same state of stupor. Sammy Deans put the horse in the buggy and drove towards Kuya, while Margaret took possession of the sick-room, making with the aid of Buchan and her own practical experience a mental diagnosis of Angela's case, and applying such remedies as appeared patent to her understanding. On those long weary days during which the poor girl lay still and heavy, or tossed restlessly upon her hot couch, with a sharp cough rending her frame and pain racking her chest and limbs, and those dragging nights when the old man sat open-eyed and tearless by his child's bedside, watching her slightest movement, and listening with heart-rending anxiety to the delirious babblings which too clearly revealed her secret. She murmured of caresses and of wooing words, of love, the sport of a summer's day, and of love high and undying as the stars. Vague, poetic fancies mingled with expressions of passionate tenderness and angry jealousy, which made her father, writhing in the bitterness of his wrath, marvel that so human an emotion could exist in so pure a shrine. And through the night watches he prayed, as never had he prayed before, that his darling's life might be spared, yet knowing all the time that his petitions were futile, and that the priestess whom he had dedicated to the service of art might never be consecrated in the goddess's temple. A wild and unreasoning craving for vengeance took possession of Ferris's soul. Passing by the real despoiler of Angela's peace, it clamored like an evil spirit against the man from whom he had received benefits, which his distorted imagination construed into insults. All his life long, since they had been boys in England together, he had hated Longleat. They had started upon the race of life with the seeds of enmity in their hearts. Ferris had been puny and insignificant, Longleat healthy and well-favoured. Then disgrace had fallen upon the young Hercules, and Ferris's star had risen. As quickly again it had waned. Poverty and an appreciation had been his portion, and when years later he had come out to Australia, in the position of a beggar, his old rival had met him in that of a patron. Longleat was mighty now, and he was poor, soured, and obscure. Longleat was the master, he was the servant. And Longleat's daughter, in the insolence of her beauty and wealth, presume triumph over his shrinking lamb and to steal away her lover. One night, or rather early morning, just as the dawn was breaking, Angela awakened, with eyes bright and sensible, and smiled in her father's face. "'You are better, my darling,' he exclaimed rapturously. "'Oh, you will soon get well now, and we shall be happy together in Italy.' Angela lifted her wasted hand and softly stroked his, while she gazed with wistful tenderness into his eyes. "'Father,' she said, and her voice was so faint that he was forced to stoop low before he could catch her words. "'You look so gaunt and white. You have not slept. All this time you have been watching me. I have had strange dreams, but they're past now. And the pain is past, too, and I feel no weight or aching, only so tired. Have you sent for Mrs. Ferris? I don't want her now. Tell her not to come. She will be sorry to leave Honoria.' She always loved Honoria best. She has not understood me. Ah, I've seen my own mother standing there beyond the mountains all in a golden light. She is waiting, waiting to carry me away. And she smiled at me and bade me go with her. You see, father, 
death is not pain only floating upwards into a higher clearer light a strange awe crept over him as he listened to her babbling the world beyond so manifest to her so visionary to him was it indeed a reality and did his girl-wife with all her artistic sympathies her tender grace and never waning belief in his ultimate achievement of greatness wait now in the golden light to welcome her child angel he whispered give her a message from me tell her i've done nothing nothing that i am lonely and miserable and disappointed that there is hope for me neither in life nor in death tell her if indeed there is a world beyond the grave to visit me sometimes in my dreams and teach me to believe in heaven the angels may always speak in dreams to those they love said angela solemnly then she closed her eyes and he sat watching her believing that she was sleeping but after a little while she opened them again and whispered father give the picture that i have painted of myself to mr barrington the picture that i have never finished but he will understand and when I'm dead, bury me by the creek, under the cedar tree, where we used to sit and talk. Put some of the lotus lilies on my grave, and the tie tree flowers. Let the birds and butterflies fly over my head, and when the cedar blossoms fall, let them lie. I am only a little bush flower, too, and the river will rush by me. But I shall have learned all that it could ever tell me. And he will go sometimes, perhaps, and lay a flower on my grave but never her, never tell her that I loved him. Suddenly she caught his hand and with an effort raised herself. Promise, she whispered earnestly, that you will send him the picture without a word, that you will not be angry with him. I was only his little sister, Angel. He loves me still. So, promise, father, promise. She entreated till he bowed his head in assent to her wish. Then she closed her eyes again and continued to murmur disjointed sentences, but so low that even to his strained ears her words were inaudible. At last, lifting her head with bright gaze fixed upward, she said in louder tones, Mother, I am coming. It is sunrise, and I see you in the red light. Hold out your arms again. I am coming, Mother. And when the day had burst, Angela was with her mother. End of chapter 30 Read by Celine Major